Mark chapter 6, and we're going to read together verses 7 through 13. This is the word of God. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with, they anointed with oil many who were sick and heal them. Amen. This is God's holy word. Have you ever stood in a line with 15 to 20 other people and there are two people standing in front of you and suddenly they begin to pick their teams? You may not have done it in America, but in Ireland... The common custom was during break and lunchtime at school, all the boys would grab the soccer ball, or the football as we call it, and head out to the field. And it wasn't just a mad dash, there actually was some sort of you know, structure to what we were doing. We would line up in, in a big long line, and the best two players would always stand out in front, and what they would do is they would basically begin to pick I'll not tell you where I came in the line. It's near the end. Two left feet. But they would pick their favorites. They would pick those who they knew would help them win the game. Until it got down to the last two. And then at that point, it doesn't matter which one you get. They're not very good anyways. But one of the most amazing features of the gospel... And the ministry of our Lord Jesus is the man that he chose to be his disciples. If you and I were putting together a team for ministry and these men were in a line and we were picking those who we would pull out, these are probably not the kind of people that we would want to be associated with or represented by. Think who these men were. Several were fishermen. One was a former tax collector for Rome. And a couple of them were quite quick-tempered. One of them was a revolutionary. One of them was a traitor and not a true believer at all. These men were common men. These men lacked spiritual understanding. Some of them lacked humility. Some of them, if not all of them, at times lacked faith. They lacked commitment. 
They lacked power. These men were always getting into trouble and missing the point of Christ's teaching and even at times lashing out against others. And even at one point, every single one of them would run away. And yet, in spite of these men's weaknesses, the Lord used these men, these men that he chose unto himself to turn the very world upside down for his glory. Saint of God, look around. I'm not going to ask you to turn around and look at everyone that's behind you, but you know who's here. If God can use men like these, and can I encourage you to do a study on these men, find out who they were, what they did. If God can use men like that, surely God can use us too. That gives me this morning hope. I don't have to be this bright intellectual person. I was reminded this morning that even when I read, I can read sometimes the wrong words. And if God can use someone like me or you and these disciples, what are we waiting for? Jesus called these men to follow him earlier in Mark 3. And for some time now, they've been following the Lord Jesus Christ from place to place. They've been listening to him. They've been watching him. They've been seeing how he teach. They've been seeing him perform miracles. These people, as it were, have been in a seminary day in and day out. Why? Jesus had been training them so that he could send them out, as we read in verse 7, with the message of the gospel. This passage before us this morning gives us details of our Lord's sending out these disciples for what we could call their first missionary outreach. And this passage this morning has much to teach us, much to teach those of us who indeed are servants of the Lord. Perhaps you're sitting there this morning and you have a desire to serve God in in special ways. Perhaps in the church, it gives us a reminder of indeed who the master's men were. Jesus is men. Jesus had a mission for these 12 disciples. He still has a mission for us this morning. And so as we open up this passage, we're going to do so under these three headings. We're going to first look at the mission of the twelve. Then secondly, we're going to look at the mandate of the twelve. And then thirdly and finally, we will look at the message of the twelve. It's the mission, the mandate, and the message, the three M's. And so, in verse 7, we see Jesus calls these men to himself, and he sends them out on a preaching mission. He sends them out two by two, and he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. They were sent out two by two. 
Matthew 10, 2 through 4, it gives us some idea of how these men might have been paired up. And there are a couple of reasons why indeed Jesus sent these men out two by two. I'll be honest, I've read that verse many times. How many times have we wondered, why two by two? But you see, it fulfilled the requirements of the law for every testimony to be established by the words of at least two witnesses. You'll find that in Deuteronomy 17, verse 6, Deuteronomy 19, and Numbers 35. Christ here again takes the Old Testament and he uses it for a common practice that these men would have known. For us, we sit here and go, but it was common for these men. It provided these men with companionship. It provided them with encouragement. It provided them with someone to pray with and alongside with. It was the method that was used by John the Baptist when we see his followers sent out in Luke 7. It's the the same as the early church was there in Acts 13 and Acts 15. As we go out to share the gospel, two people going out is better than one. We can encourage, we can pray, we can help, and we can stand with one another in the evil day. Just this week we had Jehovah Witnesses show up at our door. Sadly, I wasn't there, but my father-in-law was and was able to tell them of Christ. Sad I missed them. But even there, we see, even though they're wrong in many things, they go out two by two. As you go out, dear saint, to share the gospel, can I encourage you this morning? Don't do it rogue. Yes, if you're speaking with a colleague at work, It might be difficult to call Merv and say, hey, I'm in such and such a place. Can you come with me? Not talking about that. But when we go out on the doors, when we go down Main Street and we bring forth the gospel, we should go together, not only two and two, but us all together as we bring forth the gospel of Christ. And look what he does. He sends them out two by two and he gives them authority. Authority. This particular word refers to that inherent power. It has the idea of someone possessing the right to do a thing and having the power to carry it out. Jesus here gave them the power to cast out unclean spirits. At this point, it was as if they were a very extension of himself. As they ministered in the country... Just think upon it this way, that Jesus, as it were, were, was having himself replicated with these men as they went and the disciples were sent out with his power. As you go out, as you bring forth the gospel, you do it as an ambassador of Christ. You do it as one of his dear children. Paul uses that very language in 2 Corinthians when he says, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. Dear saint, this morning you are an ambassador for Christ. 
John 14, Christ says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to my Father. The only reason we're able to see and to to do his work is because of Christ himself. I don't stand up here and preach for no reason. I've told many of you, if not all of you, that I would love to take this and hand it off to someone else. But yet as God's people were called to serve him and be ambassadors in many different ways. When he saved your soul, dear saint, he gave you the power to carry his message to the world. And yes, at times we can feel inadequate. This morning I feel inadequate to come before you. And yet it's not me. It's him. We may be weak in our words. We may stammer over our words. We may, when we go to proclaim the gospel, go, oh my goodness, I have messed it up. It's not your words, it's his words. We don't do the saving, God does. His power is more than enough. It's our job, as these disciples were called to do, to go. To go and herald the truth, to share the gospel, knowing that he has given us the power and enablement to do that very thing. If you ever struggle to know what to talk to a sinner about, talk of your own conversion. Tell them of what Christ has done in your life. At times we can wonder what to say. Show them it. Show them your life before a holy God. For some here, we've grown up in Christian homes. And our testimony, we may think, doesn't have any pizzazz. We're not, we weren't in drugs. We weren't alcoholics. We weren't in prison. God came to save sinners. Not just a particular group. Sinners. And so, young Christian, growing up in a Christian home, what can you tell someone who's on the streets or someone who is living a life that is against the Word of God? What can you tell them? That Christ died, that Christ rose, and that Christ is my everything. Doesn't have to be flattery words. Simple, but yet powerful. Why? Because it speaks of Christ and it speaks of his goodness to us in our lives. And so secondly this morning, what was the mandate of the twelve? What did God or what did Christ call them to do? Jesus gave these men very, very specific commands. In verse 8 and 9, 
They were told to take nothing with them for their journey. They could take a walking stick, the shoes that were on their feet, the clothes that were on their back. They weren't to take a script, which was that traveler's bag, nor were they to take any money or were they to take any food. There's an idea here that these men were sent to go as they were without making any special preparations for their travels. They were, under, they were to undertake this assignment with the full faith in the Lord and his ability to take care of them. And that's still God's plan today. When we are saved by faith and the Lord expects us to live a life of faith, he wants us to walk in complete dependence on him, on his power to supply our needs. If the Lord sends us out in his service, we can trust him to take care of us. Surely we have seen this countless times with the many missionaries that we know of and pray. I am not, repeat not this morning telling you, to sell all that you have and just live dependently upon God. We are not to be foolish with our resources. Just because the Lord will meet our needs does not imply that we have to give everything that we have away. God has commanded us to be good stewards of that which he has given us. We're not to squander everything that the Lord gives us. We're to be the stewards of what he has blessed us with. There are times that we can save. Why? So that when others need it, we can gladly give it. We'd have it to be able to help the body when they're struggling. Please hear me well this morning. Always be a wise steward of the wealth that God has blessed you with. But encompass that with always trust the Lord to take care of you. There are times in my life as a young boy when my parents weren't working. And we had a few bills that came in through the door. And I will never ever forget my father's face. How are we going to pay for these Florence? I was kind of a nosy kid who hung around the corner and listened to everything. There's probably some in this congregation who've done the same. And as a young boy, you begin to worry and fear. And yet I remember a faithful man who provided for our family when we needed it. Why? Because God had given him a good job that he could save and help when others were struggling. God has blessed us so much. He's given us so much. We're to be wise stewards of what he has given to us. But we're always to be reminded. Always to be reminded that we're to trust 
the Lord. In good times and in hard times, we may wonder in the next year, what is our economy going to do? You may not know what I do for a job, but there are many times when we wonder where the orders will come from. What will happen? What do we do? We pray. We cry on to a great God who hears the prayers of his people and he may answer and he may not. And yet indeed he is a good God and so is God's people this morning. Steward wisely. But remember that God takes care of us. He always has and he always will. But here we read that there's an idea of urgency. This is something that we miss when we read God's word. If you're here on a Sunday night, you will hear me say time and time again as we read Psalm 119. Slow down. Read carefully. As we read that passage, he charged them to take nothing for their journey. He doesn't say go away and get your Excel spreadsheet opened and put in all the numbers and figure out where you're going and how long you're going to be away and what all you will need. No. He says go. Go now. The fields are white unto harvest and the time is to go now. Not in a month, two months, when everything is hunky-dory. No, go now. The time to tell the world of a risen Savior is now. It's today. The Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. How will they know without a preacher or one to bring forth the word? Brothers and sisters, the fields are white Unto harvest. The time to go is now. There are people who need to hear the good news of Christ. Perhaps you're sitting there and you have an individual in mind. And and you think upon them and you wonder. Well I'll, I'll wait for the right circumstances to come along. Perhaps they're grumpy. And so you wait until perhaps they're in a better mood. Perhaps they're always Debbie Diner in your well. When, when their spirits are up, perhaps I'll tell them of the gospel. The time to speak of Christ is today. Today. Not tomorrow. Not in a week. But today. Perhaps we've been wondering when we could call a loved one. Check in with them, see how they're doing. Perhaps we're fearful of what the response might be. Christ says, tell them of me today. But as they're told to go, they're told to do this or not do that. And here we have a textual variance in our Bibles. But to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. That tunic is that 
long garment worn under the cloak next to the skin. It's not their top coat, but it's actually like a t-shirt or it's like a shirt that they would put on. And so here and in other places we read that they were to take one coat. What's so special about that? Because in those days it was only the rich who could afford a coat and another coat and another coat and more to put on. Jesus was sending them out as common men among common men. They were not to put on airs and graces and come across as if they were better than the people that they encountered. The same is for us. There are times that we look around the world and those who are lost and it's as if we look down our nose on them. We think in our minds how much better we are than they are. The truth is the only thing that separates us from the most wicked and vilest of sinners is the grace of a holy God. If it were not for his grace in our lives, we would be the worst of the worst. Shame on us, shame on me at times for thinking that we are, we are better than anyone. Shame on us when, a, when we at times stick our religious noses up in the air and we, we parade around before a lost world acting that we are something special. There was a time when we were just like them and apart from the blood and the grace of God we would still be like them. And yet at times we can, we can look down on these people. There are times when we think we are better than they. But we're not. We've had it recently. And I have to commend, commend you all. There was times when we had a few homeless walk into our church. We didn't look down our nose on them. We didn't shoo them out the door, no. We made them welcome. We made sure they were okay. In fact, some we even were able to help. That is the heart and the spirit that God's people should have. Continue to do so. Continue to see not the person but see that without Christ they are lost and headed to hell. And the only difference is the grace of God in our lives. These men, these, these, these two men that were sent out in groups, they were to accept the hospitality of local people. They were to abide in whatever house they were invited into. They were not to seek out better accommodation. They were not to look for more comfortable lodgings. They were to take what they had been given and they were to be happy with it. The English church in the 18th and 19th centuries was rocked by scandal. The pastors in those days were notorious for seeking comfort above all else. That even went for the church itself and the people who sat in the seat. 
In those centuries, some of them were, were more famous for knowing their knowledge of hunting dogs and for wine in their cellars than they were for the word of God and ministering and shepherding God's people. And isn't it the same in our day? There are those who live like kings while their people struggle to support. And these men give the appearance of caring for you and your soul. But when the rubber hits the road. And you have a loved one near death or perhaps you're sick yourself. Where will they be? Will it be a mere formality? Or will it be a shepherd caring for his people? In those, those centuries, all that those pastors were concerned about was money, wealth, and happiness. And they were absolutely obsessed by it. They needed to know where every dime and nickel was going. Why? So that their pockets could be lined first. They were going to get their cut above all else. You turn on the God channel in our day. What's different? These television preachers of our era with their, their homes, their air-conditioned dog houses that I heard this week. Their limousines, their helicopters. And what have they done? They've left a bad taste in the mouths of this generation. The Christian life is not about comfort and ease. There are times when serving the Lord is and should be anything but comfortable. As people of God, we are to be thankful in all things. This past week should even remind us of that. A week of gratitude and thanks. Preachers, that's me, and whoever else stands and brings forth God's word in this pulpit, or in fact, any other church, there are times, there are times when we have to get by in very little. It's the way it should be. Why? Because surely we see in our day that money, health, and happiness are nothing but evil in these days. When I heard that preacher coming on this week and he blasphemed a holy God and he was more thankful for his dog who had an air-conditioned doghouse than he did for the people that he shepherds, shame on him. shepherd is with his people. A shepherd is there when the loved one is near death. Or perhaps you're sick yourself and they're with you. They're reading scripture with you. They're praying with you. It's not a mere formality. And look what it did in the 18th and 19th centuries. It rocked it to its very core. Our Lord here tells them to take very little, but to go And as they did go, 
And perhaps they entered a village and, and that message was rejected. What were they to do? They were commanded to shake the very dust from their feet. In those days, this is what people did when they were returning from a journey that they'd went into a pagan land. They would come home and as before they crossed the border, they would shake the, the dust and the dirt off their feet. It represented that total disassociation from pagans and the pollution of their land. Here Christ tells them to do it to those who had rejected the very words that were given, that gospel message. Told in other passages that their, their fate would be worse than that of Sodom and Gomorrah. Those who rejected the words of Christ. Why? Sodom and Gomorrah had the words of that wayward believer named Lot. And these cities, these towns had the very testimony and preaching and teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This morning you have that as well. You've had it weeks past and Lord willing you'll have it weeks to come. The gospel is freely offered. The good news of Christ is portrayed and preached. What will you do? Will you say Merv I'm just not quite ready? Not quite ready for all this yet. Just as people are commanded to go and to preach the word, that same word tells us that we do not know what a day will bring forth. Tomorrow may not look how we had thought or planned. It only takes one phone call. One visit to the doctor. One crazy driver on the road. And our life is gone. But what about your spiritual life? Christ this morning, the one who sent people out to herald the good news, heralds it again. Because thirdly, this morning we see the message of the twelve. And here we see in these final two verses, as it were, the summary of the mission that these men had to do. They were enabled to cast out demons by Christ. They anointed many with oil who were sick and they healed them. They went out and preached repentance. The same that was preached by both John the Baptist and Jesus Christ himself. They were to go as servants of the great king. They were not to compromise their message even if it brought rejection and persecution. They had to have the courage to tell the truth about Christ and the gospel. And even if the Lord spares us, we will see next week the death of a saint for standing for the truth. And if repentance was the first words out of the mouth of John and Jesus and the apostles... 
It must be an especially uh, a component of the gospel and the Christian life in these days. I said this morning in all age Sunday school that indeed God, and if I can say it reverently, has a sense of humor. This morning we thought of repentance and faith. And Thomas Watson, that great English Puritan, wrote a helpful treatise on repentance. He stated, Repentance is a grace of God's Spirit, whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. Watson identified six ingredients necessary for true repentance. What are they? First of all, the sight of sin. It's whereby a person comes to themselves, where they, they see and they see their lifestyle as sinful. As God's people, we too are to look, see our sin, and repent. He goes on to say that that second ingredient for true repentance is sorrow for sin. We need to feel the nails of the cross in our soul as we sin. Repentance includes God, godly grief and a holy agony. We should anguish with sorrow over the offense itself and the one who we have offended. Thirdly, a confession of that sin. The humbler sinner passes judgment on themselves as they cry unto God the specifics of what they've done. What are, what are benefits to confession of our sins? When we pray in the morning and in the evening, and we have, if you look at your bulletin, you'll see prayer, confession, thanksgiving, and intercession as we pray. When we conclude that time of confession... We should be bringing scripture to remind us and to encourage us that indeed as believers our sins are forgiven. That if we confess our sins it gives glory to God. We read of that in Joshua 7 verse 19. That confession of sins is a means to humble the very soul itself. Confession of sin gives release to a troubled heart. It purges out sin. It endears Christ to the soul that is needing atoning. Confession of sins makes ways for forgiveness and confession of sins makes way for mercy. As you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to do what? To beat you with a big rod and say it's not good enough? No, to forgive you for those sins. There are so many in our day and even in our minds that we can relax to who is it we're wallowing these things. Christ has paid it all. All to him I owe. As you confess your sins and as you, as you think about your sins laid upon him. It should cause you to sorrow. It should cause you to have confession. It should cause you fourthly to have shame. Ezra said in Ezra 9, 6, 
O my God, I am ashamed and blushed to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. When last did we blush for our sins? When last did we think of the shame that it brings? It makes us shameful before a holy God. It should fifthly give us that hatred of sin. Brothers and sisters, we must hate sin to the very core. Not merely chop it off at soil level, but go and grab that very root and yank it out. True repentance loathes sin deeply. As I read that, I asked myself, when did I last loathe? When would I last have that hatred of sin? We can have hatred for so many other things. When last did we have it for sin? And finally, he writes that final ingredient of repentance is turning from our sins, returning to the Lord with all of our heart. Ezekiel records these words of God to the house of Israel where he says in Ezekiel 14.6, Repent and turn away from your idols and turn away your faces from all your abominations. As God's people, we are called to turn away from our abominations. Not just the obvious ones that we have, but those, those darling sins as they're called. turning towards repentance towards God and faith. Repentance is rooted in a hatred of sin and a joyful awareness of God's loving kindness which leads to joy. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. We rejoice that indeed Christ has done it all. What are we called to do? Repent and believe. The mission of the twelve that we read off, it's in brackets. Because in verses 30 and 32, we read of them going out and of them coming back. But look what's in the middle. It's that biblical story of John the Baptist being beheaded. And it reminds us, and it should remind us, that the kingdom advances mysteriously in the midst of rejection, even the death of God's chosen servants. There are times when we cannot explain what is going on but we are to have faith in a good God. We may suffer and we may die. We get it so easy. No one stopped us from coming up those stairs this morning. 
We're not, as it were, turning our head at everyone that comes in and out through the door wondering, who is it? But there may come a time when we do suffer. There may even come a day, a time when we have to die for Christ. But as we do so, we go with little. And even what we have can be taken away. Some will welcome us. Others will reject us. They will try to destroy us. Preaching the word and helping others may not result in our praises, but in fact, our very death. This was the fate of John. This was the fate of Jesus. And in fact, for almost all of these men that got sent, it was their fate. It may be yours, it may be mine. But did not Jesus say in John 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. As God's people, we're not going to be liked. For some, that can be very difficult. But as we advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ, if indeed we are rejected... And persecuted. May God give us the heart of the very apostles. Because look what they did. In Acts 5 verse 41 it said rejoicing. Even though they were being scattered. Even though they were being rejected. Even though they were being persecuted for God. They rejoiced. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy. Worthy to be dishonored on behalf of him. This morning, would we count that worthy? Would we count it worthy when others persecute us? When others say all slander against us? The word of God tells us, Rejoice, rejoice and count it worthy to be dishonored on behalf of his name. Dear saint, believer in Christ this morning, carry his name and you may suffer shame and pain. But do not forget. The theme this morning has been remember. All age Sunday school, here again. Remember. Remember the great gain. Not now, but in eternity. In heaven and in our final home. This world indeed is like the flower. In fact, this morning you are that flower and you are that grass. Because you wither, and someday you will perish and you will die. But the word of God continues on, and if you are found in Christ this morning, rejoice. Rejoice in the one who bled and the one who died on your behalf. If you are not in Christ, then what have you to rejoice Christ this morning urges you to come.
come without money, come without anything, but come. Come to the Savior of the world. And what should you do? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask that you would help us to be more like you in these days. To at any time and any opportunity to speak much of the good news of Christ. To tell others of his saving work in our lives. To tell others of his goodness, of his mercy. Lord, we pray even this week that you would give us opportunities to do that very thing. We even pray as a church that we would be looking for avenues to bring your word to those on the highways and byways that they could hear the good news of Christ. And Lord, we pray even for some in here this morning who have heard that good news. Lord, we pray that they would run with earnestness, that they would not tarry until they find the Savior of the world. Lord, we pray that you would do a dealing in souls this morning. We ask that you would encourage us, even bring us back here this evening to hear your word again. And as we do, O Lord, we pray that we would go with your blessing. Be near to us. Encourage our hearts, those of us who are finding you, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Please turn.